I wanna start by telling you about one of my favorite holidays, Independence Day. But it's not July 4th, it's actually February 14th. Because for most of my time in college, I was single for almost the whole four years. And one of the, the highlights of the year for us single guys in the dorm is every year when February 14th would come around, when the rest of the world was celebrating Valentine's Day, we were celebrating Independence Day, a time for us to celebrate and recognize our singleness by eating a half gallon of ice cream and watching a chick flick. <laughs> and we always made a way bigger deal out of it than it ever was supposed to be. And it, looking back, it was one of the dumbest but funniest memories of my four years at Cedarville. And maybe you've done the same thing. Maybe you've embraced Independence Day or Singles Awareness Day on February 14th. Or maybe there's a chance <laughs> that my silly illustration resurfaces some of the, the pain, some of the frustration that might come up every year on Valentine's Day when you're not in the relationship that you want to be in. Because in reality, we live in a couple's world. We live in a world that glamorizes and idolizes relationships. <laughs> it's what we've seen on every single Disney movie, every single princess movie that we've ever watched. The princess is never happy until she gets Prince Charming. It's what we see in Fritz's favorite Disney movie, High School Musical, <laughs> where the, the attractive, intelligent, athletic guy is never happy until he gets his dream relationship. Our world idolizes, glamorizes romantic relationships. And that even fits into what we see in the world around us through the sexual revolution that seems to be moving faster and faster by the day. Because one of the foundations of the sexual revolution that we find ourselves in is an idolization of relationships, an idolization of sex, believing that sex, however you might define it, is a human right. But that's not what God teaches. God teaches that sex has some very specific boundaries, that it's a gift, it's a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. But we live in a world that glamorizes, that idolizes relationships, sometimes even idolizes marriage. And I think sometimes that same mentality of idolizing a relationship in marriage can creep into the church. You know what happens when the congregant goes up to the single church leader and says, when are you going to get married so you can do real ministry? I wish that was hypothetical, but it's not. It happens every time a, a church member or church attender quotes that proverb, he who finds a wife finds a good thing to the single congregant over and over again. I think sometimes we have this mentality that singleness is just a holding pattern until real life can begin. How often has somebody that you know or somebody from church tried to set up uh, another single person uh, with their cousin's uncle's fiance's sister's stepbrother who lives in Arkansas, right? Our church or the church in general has an idolization of relationships. So for our non-single friends tonight, you're here, you're dating, you're in a relationship, you're married, we're gonna practice the skill of empathy, of feeling with, of putting ourselves in the shoes of a brother or sister that's here tonight that might be single. Because I want us to imagine the pain that can come with sitting through wedding ceremony after wedding ceremony, watching friends get married while still being as single as ever in the middle of the ceremony. Imagine the, the frustration of seeing post after post on Instagram of happy couples, engagement pictures after engagement pictures, just wishing that was you, but it's not. Imagine the dejection of walking along river life 
on a Sunday afternoon, seeing a young, happy family playing uh, in the park, wishing that was you, but walking alone. Imagine the annoyance of spending another Valentine's Day watching a movie and eating ice cream alone, wishing that was you, wishing that one of these years someone would ask you out on a date. Imagine the, the loneliness of going on social media in the middle of quarantine and seeing person after person posting the, the stereotypical post, there's no one else I'd rather be quarantined with. Meanwhile, sitting home alone watching Netflix. It's not an easy thing to be single in a couple's world. And if you're single here tonight, as many of you are, I don't want you to leave our talk feeling hurt, feeling broken. I don't, I don't want you to leave feeling second rate. I don't want you to leave uh, feeling frustrated. I don't want you to leave feeling unnoticed or overlooked or undervalued. So our single brothers and sisters, if you've ever felt marginalized, if you've ever felt undervalued, second rate or forgotten by our church family or by our young adults family, I ask for your forgiveness. Because I think for many of us who aren't single, we've made singleness a far greater burden than it was ever intended to be. Being single in the church can be an extra challenge because many of us who are dating, who are married, haven't done too much to help out our single brothers and sisters. So our talk tonight's about singleness, but it's really for all of us. Because if we can understand one another, if we can feel with one another, if we can grow together understanding what God's word says about singleness, then we can grow into the family that God wants us to be, not just individually, but together. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Philippians chapter 4 tonight. Paul's wrapping up his letter to the church at Philippi, and he's talking about his life situation. And here's what he says in Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. Now, I bet you've seen verse 13 before. It's actually one of the favorites of professional athletes. And I'm sorry, Tim Tebow or Steph Curry, this verse is not talking about winning that playoff game or winning the NBA championship. Because Paul's not talking about some accomplishment. No, he's talking about endurance. He's talking about perseverance. Paul's saying that whatever life situation he's found himself in, and Paul's life was a bit of a roller coaster, that he learned the secret of being content. Because Paul's contentment was not connected to his circumstances. Paul's contentment wasn't connected to his comfort, to his financial situation, to his safety, to his popularity. Paul's contentment was not connected to human relationships. Which is why the secret to contentment actually isn't a personal relationship. This is why someone who's married, somebody who's dating, can be five times as discontent as somebody who's single because our singleness is not, or our contentment is not connected to our relationship status. Our contentment is connected to Christ. That's what Paul says. He's learned the secret. What's the secret, Paul? Well, Paul outlines that in chapter three in Philippians. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss. 
compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul's secret to contentment is running hard after Jesus, is making Jesus the most important person in his life of cultivating contentment in Christ. That's our first principle I want you to write down tonight. Cultivate contentment in Christ. Cultivate contentment in Christ. It's not an easy thing, but it flows from one of my favorite phrases, there's nothing better than knowing Jesus. Do you believe that? Do we live that? As the secret of contentment comes when we live, when we believe that there's nothing better than having a relationship with our Savior. Because being content in Christ, it doesn't change our circumstances. Being content in Christ, it doesn't change our relationship status. If you're single, being content in Christ doesn't mean that that feeling in the pit of your stomach, that longing to be in a relationship, instantly disappears. Instead, when we're content in Christ, it informs us where we go with the frustration, where we go with the pain. Because there's some individuals who are single because they want to be single. There's some people who are single because maybe they have the gift of singleness. And then there's others who are just single. And unwanted singleness is a real burden and it's a real pain. I think it goes unnoticed often within the church that when someone longs to be married, longs for that companionship, longs for that intimacy that comes in marriage, but that desire goes unmet year after year, that's, that's a burden that I think Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 12. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture where Paul is t- having this conversation with the Lord and he has this, this thorn in his flesh, this, this frustration, this annoyance. We don't know what it is. Some people think it's an eye disease. Some people think uh, that it's pride. Some people think that it's a demon. I don't know. Paul doesn't specify, which I think is for our benefit because we can apply it to just about any circumstance that we're going through. But Paul goes to the Lord and says, Lord, take away this thorn. And three times God says, no, I'm not taking it away. And God replies to Paul and says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Is it possible that unwanted singleness could be your thorn? Absolutely. Absolutely. But Paul gives us a template for how to respond, to take that frustration, to take that pain directly to the Lord and say, Father, you know I don't want to be single. You know I'd rather be in a relationship, but I trust you. I trust your sufficiency. I trust your grace. Help me see that you've given me a good gift. Help me, help me faithfully steward this season that you've given to me. And for all of us, cultivating contentment in Christ is not something that happens overnight. It takes time. It takes discipline. It takes diligence. Time with our Savior and His Word and in prayer, diving in and investing in our relationship with Him, not out of obligation, not because we want to check the box, but because we genuinely want to know Christ. And maybe that's been a struggle for you lately. Maybe you feel like spending time in the Word has just it's been tough, and you walk away from your readings and, and feel like, man, I don't remember anything I just read. Or maybe you haven't been reading at all. If either of those are you, stop your reading plan and dive into the Gospels. Read Matthew or Mark, Luke or John, and with the the goal of knowing Jesus, with the goal of understanding our Savior, of investing in our relationship with Him. Because our relationship with Jesus is way more important than a dating relationship, way more important. 
than marriage because any of those relationships just last for here, for now, for earth. Our relationship with Christ lasts for eternity. The church, the bride of Christ will be married to Jesus for all of eternity. I think some of the struggles uh, with singleness within the church can flow from the emphasis that some Christians place on marriage and relationships. I think many Christ followers functionally make marriage the ultimate goal of the Christian life. There's this sense of arrival uh, once you've been married. There's this push to date. There's this push to marry. There can be this stigma that can come with being single and even this cultural and even ministry benefit uh, for those that are married. I find that single women in particular might find it challenging to serve within their local church, feeling underutilized or underappreciated. It doesn't help when married couples glamorize uh, their relationships. And social media certainly hasn't helped with that. It's that stereotypical post on somebody's anniversary. I've never been happier in my entire life. The last year has been the greatest and the happiest and the most wonderful. You're my Prince Charming, and I can't imagine my life without you, followed by all of the kissing face emojis. And I see those posts, and you've seen them too. And I'm tempted to, I don't, but I'm tempted to reply with something kind of snarky, like, I know you not on social media, and I know that's not actually what your relationship is like. Or I've sat through enough counseling sessions, I've seen enough of what happens behind the scenes to know that there is no way your relationship is actually as perfect as you make it look on Instagram. And I think it's a temptation for all of us, regardless of relationship status, to portray uh, an ideal picture of ourselves on social media. But if you're single, don't believe the lie that's portrayed on social media that every relationship, that every marriage is perfect and easy because it's not. A couple summers ago, uh, I went to a wedding and uh, I heard a best man speech that I will never forget. And that's saying something because, you know, best man speeches can be quite thrilling. <laughs> well, this, uh, this individual, his wife was actually in the audience and uh, he got up to, to share some words, to share a toast to the groom. And this best man, I'll summarize what he said. Uh, well, uh, groom, we've been married for a year. And our first year of marriage, it was horrible. Marriage is really hard, so you better buckle up. No, no joke. The wife from the audience shouted, amen. <laughs> and we all were laughing very uncomfortably. And I, I, was, I was really uncomfortable. But at the same time, I appreciated the honesty, even if it wasn't the best place for it, because he's giving the groom a warning saying, chances are your first year of marriage, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a cakewalk. Buckle up because it's going to take some work. I think it's important for all of us um, just to not glamorize, to idolize marriage and relationships. And that's our second principle. Stop embellishing relationships. Stop embellishing relationships. We need to make sure we don't treat marriage and relationships as the ultimate goal of the Christian life. God's given us marriage as a good gift, not for our pleasure, not for our satisfaction, but for his glory. That's Ephesians 5. 
Marriage is a picture of the gospel. As a husband and wife love each other and submit to one another and respect one another, it's a picture of Jesus' love for the church and our submission back to Christ. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. God didn't give us marriage for our pleasure. He gave us marriage for his glory. And the same thing is true of singleness. It's a gift that God has given to us, not for our pleasure, but for his glory and for the advance of his kingdom. Both marriage and singleness are good gifts from the Lord. And I bet if you've been around the church long enough, you've heard the phrase, the gift of singleness. And it comes with some baggage. It comes with some preconceived notions. And if we're going to talk about singleness, we've got to understand what the Bible says about the gift of singleness. So that's our third principle. We have to understand the gift of singleness. Understand the gift of singleness. And to do that tonight, we're going to look at two texts. One from Jesus, one from Paul. Uh, So once you're done writing down the third point, grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to look at a a passage where Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees, they're Jesus' enemies. They do not like him. They're trying to find a way to trip Jesus up, to get him to theologically make some mistake that self-condemns himself so that they have the right to not like him very much. So in order to trap Jesus in a corner, (laughs) the Pharisees, they bring up the D word, divorce. And here's what they say, Matthew 19, verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Jesus, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So it's kind of a tricky question because if you read Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1 through 4, it certainly seems like in the law of Moses that divorce was allowed. So they're trying to put Jesus to the test. Verse 4, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. He's quoting from Genesis chapter 2. Then the Pharisees reply to him and say, Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Verse 8, Jesus answers very wisely, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses didn't command you. He allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Jesus does in this text what he does over and over again throughout the gospels, throughout his ministry. He clarifies the law in the Old Testament, and he actually makes it even harder. He intensifies it because Jesus isn't just looking at external obedience to the law. He's actually looking at matters of the heart, and that's exactly what he does here. But when we read this text, most people are just concerned about a conversation about divorce, and they stop at verse 9. The disciples' response in verse 10 is key. Look at what the disciples say. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man and his wife, then Jesus, it is better not to marry. In other words, the disciples are looking at Jesus' standard of ethics, his standard of morality, his standard of holiness, his standard of commitment, and they say, Jesus, if if we can't divorce our wives when we get married, then why would we get married? That standard is way too high. They're marveling at Jesus' ethical code. And what they're actually, if I had to guess, trying to get Jesus to do is they're trying to get Jesus to back off. They're trying to get him to change his standard. They want him to tweak what what he said to the Pharisees because they're marveling. They're they're astounded at this this standard. And Jesus gives them a reply that I actually don't think they saw coming and came out of left field. Verse 11, Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying. Okay, what's this saying? Well, it's certainly what the disciples said in verse 10. 
it's better not to get married. So Jesus says, not everyone can receive, it's better not to marry, but only to those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who've been so from birth. There are eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who've made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who's able to receive it, receive it. Okay, so to understand this text, we have to understand what a eunuch is. I'm just going to shoot straight. A eunuch was a man in this culture uh, whose reproductive organs were removed. He was castrated so that he couldn't reproduce. Guys, don't think about that for too long. Um, And what would happen was if a man was serving in a court of like a high-profile woman, then he would often uh, be made a eunuch. We see that in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. He came to Christ in, in that chapter. But Jesus has three different categories, but he creates a third category, uh, a eunuch who makes himself a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom. Now, Jesus is not promoting self-castration. Instead, he's making a, a, a metaphor for a renunciation of marriage, that for someone, maybe to whom it's given by God, to say, I'm not going to get married, but for a purpose, says, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And presumably, this is something that's given I'd assume it's a gift that is given by God. And that was where the gift of singleness was born in Matthew 19. But Paul clarifies that a little bit for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Turn there with me. We'll just look at a couple verses in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. Where Paul says this in verses 6 through 9 in 1 Corinthians 7. Now as a concession... Not a command, I say this. I wish all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Well, it's interesting, Paul starts in verse six. He says, a concession, not a command. In other words, Paul's sharing some advice. He's sharing some wisdom that maybe wouldn't carry the, the, the thrust of a command. And he's saying, I wish all of you were like I am. In other words, Paul's saying, I wish all of you were single. Which is interesting. Paul actually roots the concession not to get married in sexual desire. Verse 9, if they can't exercise self-control, they should marry. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. It was interesting Paul gives us this picture of some Christ followers who receive this gift from God with the purpose of serving the kingdom, where maybe there's an absence of that burning desire to get married and an absence of that longing for that companionship, ultimately an absence for the, the longing for intimacy in marriage. And Paul's saying that's a, that's a gift from God. Now, I know plenty of singles who say, maybe some of you tonight, say, you know, I want to be married. I want to have a family. I'm longing for sexual fulfillment in marriage. If that's you, I don't think you have the gift of singleness. I think this is a, a believer that maybe doesn't have those desires or that they're at least not that strong. So that's how we would define the gift of singleness. <laughs> but I think there's times where we use that phrase, and sometimes I think it can be hurtful uh, to people within the church Family. Maybe I can outline just a couple of scenarios uh, where we just have to be extra careful where we use the phrase, the gift of singleness. I know some who have a 
a strong a sexual desire, but that desire is directed towards people of the same sex, not the opposite sex. Christians who might suffer with same-sex attraction. And our world has not made that struggle, that thorn, any easier. Because our world is preaching, be true to yourself. Love is love. Don't deny your desire. But God's word has clearly outlined some specific boundaries for intimacy between a man and a woman in a lifelong committed marriage relationship. Now, we have to understand that just the presence of desire, the presence of temptation isn't sin. Acting on those desires, acting on that temptation is sin. But I've heard some people ask, well, for a Christian brother or sister that's living a life of holiness, that's pursuing the Lord, but still has those desires, do they, have, they must have the gift of singleness. Possibly. But there's plenty of individuals who suffer with same-sex attraction who've gotten married. I think of Rebecca McLaughlin or Rosaria Butterfield, two examples of very godly women who are pursuing the Lord who suffer with same-sex attraction, but the Lord's allowed to get married and have a family. So we want to be careful when we use that phrase with a brother or sister that might struggle in that way. Additionally, I was reading an article from a pastor in preparation for this, and he he painted two parallel scenarios that I thought were, were helpful, and here's the first. Imagine a young man, 25 years old, involved in a church community, very single. Doesn't really have a desire to be in a relationship. Doesn't really want to get married. Really has an absence of that sexual desire within marriage. And he thinks he wants to serve as a missionary and use his singleness to, as leverage for the kingdom. But <laughs> there's this group of people from the church who are constantly trying to set him up with their granddaughter or constantly trying to set him up with their great niece. And he doesn't really know how to tell him, I don't really want to get married. I think I have the gift of singleness. I think I'm going to go serve the Lord overseas as a single man. And he doesn't really know what to say. Well, maybe compare that with the parallel scenario of a young woman as equally single as the young man. She's part of a young adults group, goes to church on Sunday mornings. But she has a desire to be in a relationship. He, she's longing to be married, is longing for that, that intimacy that comes within marriage. But then she hears this narrative from some older women within her church family saying, embrace your singleness. Be content in Christ. The reason that you haven't found Mr. Right yet is because you're not content in Jesus. God will bring the right guy into your life when you, you find your contentment in Christ. And how does that leave her feeling? Hurt, broken, offended. The gift of singleness is really dangerous when we make assumptions. And, you know, we probably learned that in other areas of life too. We've got to be careful, which means we've got to know each other. That if we're going to get involved in someone else's dating life, that they probably can't be a casual acquaintance. We've got to know them. We've got to know them really well. That if we don't know someone well, I'll be blunt. You don't have any business of trying to set them up with somebody. And if there's a brother or sister that we know well that's, that's single, maybe it means getting to know them on a deeper level, asking some deep questions. But we have to treat one another as whole people. We're not, the, we're not valued by our relationship status. So we want to treat one another as whole individuals rather than just the sum of our relationship status. Because sometimes when, 
one Christian tries to set up another Christian and they don't know each other very well, here's how it can be received by a, a single man or single woman. You're not complete. You're not whole. You won't find true satisfaction until you have a relationship. But here's the problem. If singleness is a gift, if singleness is designed to be valued and affirmed, then, then we need to treat it the same. Singleness is a great gift from the Lord. Marriage is a great gift from the Lord. We need both within our church family. We need both within our friendships. Think of 1 Corinthians 12, one of the best chapters on what it looks like to be the body of Christ. I'll just read a couple of verses from there, verses 12 and 13, 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it's with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized. Into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink one spirit. And to be baptized here means to be placed into Christ through, through faith in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But what Paul is saying is, is the gospel breaks down ethnic barriers, Jews and Greeks. The gospel, it breaks down economic barriers, uh, slaves and free. In Galatians 3.28, in a parallel text, the gospel breaks down gender barriers. There's no male or female in Christ. And I think based on the nuance of these two texts, I think we can add one more. Married and unmarried. The gospel breaks down the barriers that are so often defined by relationship status. And that's our fourth uh, principle tonight. Embrace inclusivity. Embrace inclusivity. This fits in directly with our vision for young adults. So I know so many churches that have a young singles group and a young married group. And what happens is you go to the young singles group to meet and to mingle, to find a spouse. And then when you date, you get engaged, you get married, then you get to graduate to the real ministry, the young married group. I'm being slightly facetious, but not really. Is it possible for a single young adult to learn from a married young adult? Absolutely. Is it possible for a married young adult to learn from a single young adult? Absolutely. We need one another. We are better together, not separate. And that's our vision for young adults, to create a ministry that is not just comprised of single people, that's not just comprised of married people or whatever is in between, but to understand that we're better together, that we need each other. I love what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 in verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's empathy. It's feeling with. If a young couple has a miscarriage or has a hard time getting pregnant, you don't have to be married to put your arm around them, to cry with them, to pray with them, to feel with them and to support them. When you're married, don't forget about the potential pain that can come every year on Valentine's Day for the brother or sister who's single. For somebody who's dating and the relationship falls apart, you don't have to be married or single or dating to comfort or console. And when you do get married, please don't forget about your single friends. Don't abandon them, include them, invest in them, and don't simply just make them third wheel because that's uncomfortable. <laughs> don't let your relationship status dictate who you hang out with all the time. Here's our final principle tonight, number five. See singleness as a blessing, not a burden. See singleness as a blessing, not a burden. 
if you're single, even if you don't have the gift of singleness, singleness is a blessing, not a burden. Jesus was single. Paul was single. And they used their singleness as leverage for the gospel. Even if you don't have the gift of singleness, singleness is always a gift. And Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'll start reading in verse 32. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's saying that when you're married, your interests are divided. I mean, for me, before I got married and before we had Matthias, I did a lot more discipleship hangouts in the evening. And I don't do that that much anymore because I have an obligation to be home in the evening with my family. It's more than an obligation. It's where I want to be. It's so important for that investment in even Matthias, even as a one-year-old, to, to pray, to sing together, to read scripture together, to do that before he goes to bed as many nights as I can. That's an important opportunity of investment. It's not that I don't want to grab tacos or play golf on a weeknight. It's that I have the opportunity to be home with my family as much as I can. That's kind of what it means to have divided interests. Now, when you're single, when you're not married, when you don't have that family at home, you have way more discretionary time than someone who's married. And that is at least partially what makes singleness a gift. It's an opportunity to glorify God. It's an opportunity to be involved in the church. It's an opportunity to be involved in way more things within Jesus' church than maybe somebody who's married or engaged or has kids. And let me affirm many of you for a moment. <laughs> I'm looking out across a room of many faces that are so good at this that are using their singleness as leverage for the gospel. Come to church Sunday mornings. Come to young adults on Monday nights. Maybe it means doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship or being part of a Bible study, serving in one-way club or doing 80 or VBS last week. There's so many ways that we can get involved and serve Jesus' church. So many of you are doing this well. And then maybe there's others of us here tonight where there's some room for improvement. Maybe you have a lot of discretionary time, but that's used for Netflix and Instagram and working out, and golf, and whatever might fill in the blank. If you're single, you have an opportunity to serve the Lord in an amazing capacity. There's nothing better than serving Him and knowing Him. Run hard after Him. Find ways to get involved in your church. Find ways to invest in that relationship with Jesus, laying aside some of the things that can so easily distract us. I know for many uh, young adults who are single, singleness can feel like a burden. That's not true for everybody, but I know that's true for many. But God wants us to view singleness as a blessing, not a burden. And here's two ideas of how we can grow in viewing singleness as a blessing. First, one friend suggested to do a gratitude journal. I loved the idea. Maybe it's every night before your head hits the pillow, grabbing a journal and writing down 10 things that you're thankful for. And not in general thanks, specific Thanking God for what he's done in your life. Thanking God for the opportunities that he's awarded 
to you. And, and when we take time to intentionally cultivate gratitude, it actually makes us more joyful. It makes us more grateful. It, it changes our perspective, and we see all the ways that God's blessing us because every good and perfect gift comes from, from him. Even secular psychology has identified that intentional gratitude is a great way to increase our joy. It's amazing that God's word is proven right once again. Here's another idea uh, to make uh, singleness a blessing. Invest in the relationships that God has put around you. Sometimes it's easy in the midst of a season of frustration to look outside and to think there's got to be somebody else. There's got to be another friend. There's got to be another group. There's got to be another relationship that's going to bring the joy that I'm longing for. That's possible. But instead, is it possible that God has brought a group of people or a person or a relationship, a friend that's already in your life, and you've just got to take that step of investment? Grab coffee, grab breakfast, start a version Bible study, invite some friends over to do a game night, have a bonfire with s'mores and talk theology, do a book study. I mean, there's so many different ways that we could cultivate deep, meaningful relationships. If you're single, invest in Christian community. Make it a priority to have real, deep, meaningful relationships. Now, as we wrap up tonight, um, I thought to change it up a little bit and maybe to be mutually encouraged, we could cut into a little bit of our small group time with the testimony, with the story of somebody uh, within our church family that has spent a lot of years uh, walking in singleness and has done it really faithfully. Um, and I think that his story is going to be an encouragement to us. Now, he's not going to talk like his experience is normative for every single person. I, I know that Oftentimes, the experience for a single man and a single woman in the church can be a lot different. But he's simply just going to share his experience, his story, and I think it'll be encouraging to us. So why don't we give a nice, warm, young adult's welcome to our friend, Brian Niemeyer. Everybody say hi, Brian. Hello. Brian, we've known each other for a long time. Yes, we have. You could, you could also tell some don't tell stories. Okay, don't tell stories about me. I could. This is year for you to tell your story. So, um, but Brian, maybe just before we talk about singleness in particular, um, you know, I know a lot of us probably recognize you. We see you on stage on Sunday mornings, but I don't know much of your story. So, could you just give us a thirty thousand foot, like two, three minute version of your your testimony? Where do I start? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I would, do you want me to talk more about my like relationship status or just like my no, testimony like, as a yeah, Christian? Yeah, like how did you, was, how did you come to I Christ with your background in the church? I became saved when I was four years old um, after a Sunday night meeting at the church that I went to back then and got home and I was just like talking to my mom, you know, because they had given a gospel that night. And so I knelt by the bed in their bedroom and accepted Christ as my Savior. But obviously at that young age, there's a lot that you don't know I think about following Christ and living a Christian life. So my life went up and down through a lot of roller coaster rides. And, you know, there were moments and years where I spent kind of time going away from the Lord. And, uh, but, you know, God kept calling me back. And, and eventually, you know, as I got into his word and, and whatnot, you know, it's like, you know, God kind of teaches you things along the way. And I've had a lot of great moments with yeah. the Lord throughout my years, and then as I started coming to Highland, uh, you know, God really started calling me into the worship ministry, which, uh, you know, has just been an amazing 
thing, you know, the passion that I have for worshiping, wanting other people to understand what worship is and to worship the Lord. It's just been something that's been a great journey that God has brought me through for years. So, What year did you start leading worship at Highland? Probably 1998, I want to say. Who in here was born after 1998? <laughs> okay. So Brian's been, been part of Highland and serving here. I think maybe longer than any pastor has been on staff. If I, I don't know. I'd have to do the math, but maybe. So, um, so maybe talk us a little bit through your history and you know, relationships and dating and marriage and all of those things. Well, there's been no marriage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've been single this whole time. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, people do ask kind of like, you know, I, it's fair funny as you've been like going through your your talk so there's so many things that resonate because it's amazing over the years the number of times I get asked the question why are you not married hmm. you know maybe it's because I'm a weirdo and a loser and nobody likes me <laughs> it could be but no I don't you know you got some pity out of that comment <laughs> <laughs> that, that was, was the goal uh-huh. no uh, I don't know I am I'm like an extreme introvert, which doesn't seem that way when you see me on stage, but I am introverted personality, and I'm somewhat of a loner, so it's actually very easy for me to be alone. It's not like a weird thing. Um, you know, and I've dated over the years. Uh, back when I was younger, in my 20s, you know, there were t- a few dating situations where, where I knew I wasn't ready which was a good thing that God put that on my heart, that, okay, I'm not ready yet for this. I'm not mature enough. Um, I'm probably still not mature enough, you know, because I'm a big kid. But uh, I don't know, you know. So it's like I'm glad some of those didn't work out. But then I was telling Luke before we were, we were met for coffee, and I was, you know, some of those I look back at, and I was like, man, I shouldn't have let that one go. You know, you, know, you kind of have those hindsight things. Um, partially... You know, maybe it's because, you know, of insecurities, you know, fear of rejection, things like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, you know, but I'm okay with being single. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing I have learned is somewhat of that contentment because, you know, I have gotten to the point in my life with my, the relationship thing is that, uh, that if I'm going to be single... I'm going to make the most of being single. And I'm going to do what I need to do to serve the Lord. Whether it's in worship ministry, I help still lead the youth band on Wednesday nights here in G180. And, you know, I think about all the youth trips I've been able to go on every summer because I don't have the, uh, you know, the family commitments that I have to go through. And I will be honest, you know, part of it is selfish. Because being single, I can do anything I want, whenever I want, you know. And I've had married friends who have come to me in confidence and said, you know, that there's times where they're jealous of that because they miss that. Um, So there's that selfishness a little bit um, to it as well. But there definitely have, I mean, you will not know the number of times where I've had people that have asked, when are you going to get married? Or who have come to me and said, I have the perfect person for you. And, uh, yeah, that's the thing you were talking about, you know, really knowing someone because I'm like, I don't think you do. And I'd be like, who is it? And they say so. I'm like, "Mm, no. You know? (laughs) So 
<laughs> you know, and part of me also has this weird fantasy idea of, you know, this perfect, you know, like, down, you know, someone you sitting on a porch with somebody growing old together, and, you know, it's, it's, there's still somewhat of that me wanting that, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah. So I just told everyone not to ask this question, so don't do what I do, but I'm going to ask Brian. Do you think you have the gift of singleness? You know how many times I've been asked that question? <laughs> a lot. I really don't think I do. I don't think I do because I, this is just me, and I could be totally wrong on this, but you mentioned it in your talk. I think if I really did have the gift of singleness, I would not have the desire to be married or sexual desires. I think the Lord would take those away, and there's still a part of me, even though I'm totally good with being single yeah. and I'm okay with it, there's a part of me that still like, imagines and wanting to be married and have a family and grow old with someone. I don't know about having the family part, because if I had a kid now, yeah. by the time they're in high school, I'd be like 70. <laughs> and they'd all be like, and you know, you gotta go to their sporting events, their friends would be like, hey, your grandpa came to see a play. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> so that'd be weird. I don't know. You but could... I have, I'm a fifth grade teacher, so I have a group of fifth grade kids every year. Those are my kids. Yeah. You know, and the youth group people that I yeah. get to pour into all the time as well. So, But it's funny, my fifth grade girls, they're always like, you, you got to be lonely. They feel so bad for me. Like, you got to find somebody. They worry about me. <laughs> and they're like, why don't you at least get a pet? And I'm like, see, I love cats, but if I get a cat... Then I'm that weird, creepy 50-year-old guy with the cat walking around on the 400 block with a cat on a leash, talking to my cat. It's like, hey, that's not going to happen. I did have goldfish once, but they died. So now I'm even more lonely because my goldfish died on me. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, I don't know. I'm hoping to see you on the 400 block next weekend with the cat on a leash. Not going to happen. Yeah. That would be a great photo shoot. Uh, we should do it just for fun. That would be, that'd be I, would, I, would, I would very gladly hold the camera for that. Oh, man. So, like, being at, you've been at Highland for a number of years, and, you know, what have been maybe some experiences that have been helpful, maybe not as helpful, just being single uh, within the church? I don't know. I mean, the not helpful stuff is the people that are constantly asking you why you're not married and yeah. thinking they have somebody for you. Um, people have kind of backed off on that over the last few years, but, you know, I've gotten a lot of that. And I've had people who set me up on, like, double dates and things like that, and then you get done, and you're like, mm, okay, that was great. Nah. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, it, I, I'm glad that people are concerned, yeah. but you, you're right, though, in your talk that there's, like, such an push, you know, to want to make people get married. But here's another thing that is kind of discouraging is because I've watched all my best friends get married and I was the best man in more than one wedding. And, uh, I can't tell you how many of my, uh, family members, friends, even some of my best friends who are now divorced Mm. and that's discouraging. And it almost makes me think, well, if I'm going to get married just to get divorced, what's the point? Hmm. You know, that doesn't mean I would get divorced, but, yeah. you know, there's so much of that. And it really should, it's a discouraging thing to see within the church. Yeah. The church should be an example of how marriage ought to work, hmm. you know. And so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't see what do you, um, I mean, what advice would you have for single brother, single sister here 
you know, looking back, mid-20s, you know, what, what advice would you give to a, a single young adult? Be in God's word, you know, learn how to serve the Lord. And I know that's not like we're saying, well, if you start serving the Lord right, then you're going to get yeah. find someone, like you said. That's not necessarily the case. Um, but you definitely want that contentment in Christ. Yeah. You know, my life's verse is 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which says, Stand firm, don't be shaken, keep busy working for the Lord, because whatever you do for him is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So whether you're single, whether you're married, what you do for the Lord is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. What we do for other people is good, but it's not necessarily going to be what stands out when you get to heaven. So you have to be busy working for the Lord in whatever relationship you're in. Yeah. If I do get married, you know, I want it to be someone that can walk, I can walk alongside with and yeah. do ministry together. Yeah. Because if we'd stop doing ministry, then yeah. what good is it? So. Yeah. And Brian's not going to toot his own horn, but um, I mean, as long as I've known Brian, he has been as involved at Highland as anyone could possibly be. Um, that we did a number of mission trips together and adventure trips and serving on like every single Wednesday night and leading worship almost every single Sunday. Because if you come to the Wausau campus, you don't realize that we have three other campuses that if Brian's not leading worship here, usually at least three, if not four, sometimes five Sundays of the month, you're leading worship somewhere. Um, so Brian has leveraged his singleness um, to serve the church. And I mean, at least for me, Brian has been an, a gift and encouragement um, and, and his passion for the Lord and using, using your time to serve. So I'm thankful for you um, and just I'm for... I'm thankful for you. Oh, thanks, Brian. It's so good to have uh, you back here. Let's go walk cats together downtown. <laughs> 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 Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh, so I, we'd love to take some time just to dialogue a little bit in our small groups. Um, but before we do, Brian, would you just be willing to pray over this group? I will. Heavenly Father, God, we first come before you and we realize, God, that you are truly an awesome God. We thank you so much for creating us to be worshipers. I ask that you would lead us in our lives through your spirit to help us to understand what it means to sacrifice our lives for you first and foremost. And then uh, we just ask that you give us clarity and, and contentment in our lives, whether we're married or whether we're single so that we could serve you the best we can and to give you the glory that you deserve. And that um, for those that desire God to be married, that you would uh, bring the right relationships into their lives and that you would bring that about. And if uh, you have given any the gift of singleness, that they would uh, use that, God, just for the kingdom and for your glory. And so we just uh, thank you that your word is so powerful and that Sam was able to uh, share with us uh, some great uh, thoughts about singleness and that we would be challenged by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.